right, it's a good day to be in the house of the Lord. I am excited to be with you today. If we've never met before, my name is Blake. I'm one of the pastors here at Bedrock, and I am excited to continue on in our series where we are talking about picking up the pieces. And this series is a piggybacking on a series we just did called Church Hurt. And we've noticed and have experienced in our own lives so many people that go through hurt and go through things that are hard. They, they have a way of kind of shattering our faith and how do we pick up the pieces and you know in our culture there's this word that's going around right now and it's not a new word it's an old word but it's something that people have been doing for a very long time but it's at the forefront it's called deconstruction it's it's this idea that we are it sounds exactly like what it is we are tearing the pieces down to a baseline and true deconstruction is about reconstruction building up the faith again Uh, now if you are deconstructing and you don't rebuild then it's just destruction you're in this place where, where you're not quite sure where to go. And so we decided as a church that we wanted to help people kind of give them ways to help rebuild their faith. And what's amazing about the Bible is people dealt with this then too. And so we're in uh, the book of First John and we're following this group of believers who have begun to deconstruct their faith. And John is writing to them and talking to them and gives them pointers and begins to uh, work with them as they start to rebuild. But I don't know about you if you've ever had to like rebuild something or maybe you feel very distant in your relationship with God, but have you ever felt like or worried that you didn't know God and that God might not know you? I know that when I went through my season of doubt, um, my first year of seminary, that there were nights that I would lay in bed and as I was trying to figure all this stuff out and trying to rebuild this worldview and really figure out what I believed and why I believed it, I began to doubt and worry that I didn't know God and that God didn't know me. And that really scared me. Like that was really hard for me to deal with and and that was hard for me to walk through. And I don't know if you're in this room and you might feel that exact same way. I don't know if I know God and I don't know if God knows me. And so what John is going to do, I like John because John gets really practical, right? Because when we're talking about deconstruction and we're talking about all of these things, we can get really theoretical. We can kind of live up in the clouds and it's like, it's all these ideas and things. And I don't know how to deal with all of that. And so John's going to go, Hey, look, I need you to understand something. How you think determines how you live. And so John's going to say like, Hey, one of the greatest proofs in life and to understand where you really are is how are you living your life? Right? Because like, Our thoughts, our actions, all of these things, they leak out into the way that we live in our daily lives. And John is going to say, that's an incredible indicator of where you are. And so today, I want us to kind of look at and say, if there's maybe not a 100% sure way, but as sure as you can be, is there a way to know that I know God and that God knows me? Like that there's this proof in my life. And, and I don't know if you were like me when I was first coming to the Lord and got saved. I, I had bad theology. And so I was always worried that I wasn't saved. So any time that there was a prayer of dedication or a prayer of salvation, I would pray that prayer in my seat every time. I'd be like, just in case last time didn't work, this time, here we go. Right? And it's like, I'm just, I, I just need to make sure I want to do this one more time. What if you didn't have to live that way? What if you could know? What if you could walk in confidence? And yes, you're not perfect and you never will be, but there are things that are present in our lives in the way that we live that would indicate that we know God. 
That's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, a couple of years ago, well, more than a couple of years ago, my, my least favorite class in, in high school uh, was chemistry class. I did not like chemistry class. I'd fall asleep a lot in that class, actually. But does everyone remember, like, you would do, like, the lipids test, and you'd, like, smell all these different things? I made the mistake one time of going full in. You're supposed to waft it towards you. I sniffed the jar. I about died. And so... Um, but I remember this one thing that really stuck with me was this thing called a litmus test. You guys remember these things? I have a picture of it on the screen, a litmus test. And basically what would happen is our, our professor at the time, he would bring out these jars of like nondescript liquids. And what we were supposed to do is we were supposed to take this litmus paper, which is on the right-hand side, and that, that little patch on there is an indicator. And it can tell you if it's alkaline all right, we're going back to chemistry. I had to look this up for this sermon, by the way. And, or acidic, right? And so you could tell, like, by what, what was in the jar, by what that strip had experienced. And you could tell where that had been and what it had gone through in the way that it was indicating and showing the experience that it just had. What if in the same way, like just like this litmus test, there was a way for you and I to kind of indicate where we had been in our life through the way that we live? Like that we could indicate the experiences that we've had in this world and in our life through the way that we live. Like our physical life here on earth is an indication, a litmus test of what has actually happened to us spiritually. John's going to say that. John's going to say, hey, look, there is a proof way of, of like your life is dipped in some kind of experience in the way that you come out living tells the world about the experience that you've had. And so I entitled this morning's message, Have You Experienced God? Have you experienced God? Have you, not, not just do you know a lot of things about who God is and maybe you can win a Bible bee, right? But, but we can know a lot about someone and not know them at all. And so today what we're going to talk about is this moment where when we're deconstructing and we're, we're breaking our faith down to the basics, experience is really going to be important to us. Because how many of us can get lost in all of these ideas and thoughts and you're just like, I don't know where I am. John's going to say to believers, you can have a lot of confidence in where you are through the way that you live. And so I, I love this quote that I heard this week, that I read this week from Brian Zan. He wrote that book, When Everything is on Fire, and it says this, As the old saying goes, a person with an experience is not at the mercy of a person with an argument. Here's what this means. No one can take your experience away. No one. The experiences that you have in your life and the experiences that you have, that you are going through in, in this world, like really the only thing that we can do is that is a true experience. It's really a matter of how you look at it. And so my question to all of us is today is, is as you're deconstructing, how do we not get lost in the process? And my question for you is, have you experienced God? Have you experienced him in a, a real way? Because he's not just this idea that we think of, but he is tangible. We believe that we love and serve the living God. And so today what I want us to do is I want us to look at, at this church and what is going on with these believers and how John is going to say like, hey, a great way for you and I to understand where we've been is how we live. And so th these believers that we are talking about, this is likely written to one of, if not all of the seven churches that are found in the book of Revelation. And we know from the book of Revelation, five out of the seven don't do so great. 
that there is some theoretical things, some things in the culture that have gotten into their life that have caused them to fall away from the Lord. And that happens to a lot of us, right? Because things get confusing and and lies generally contain partial truth. And, and I don't know about you, but it seems harder and harder these days to discern what the actual truth is. Right? Like we, we don't really know exactly what is going on. And that's exactly what happened to the believers here in First John. There is a group of people who were in the church, but they have been influenced by all of these outside ideas. Mainly the idea that the flesh is evil so that there's no way that Jesus could have been God in flesh. And they bail, they, they go, they, they jump ship. And I don't know about you, but like when your friends who are influential in your life or leaders who are influential in your life, or maybe there's that like Christian artist or that pastor, or this week I haven't heard about a mega church pastor who has left the faith and all of these things. And, and what happens is, is that puts a lot of us on this rocky soil. And we go like, well, man, if they, if they don't get it now, like what, what does that mean for me? And I'm freaking out and I don't know what to do. And so John wants to bring a word of encouragement to us as believers to say, hey, there's a way that you can know we're okay and we can fight through this together. Let's start together in John chapter 2, 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 to 6. If you don't have a Bible with you, we have free ones out in the lobby. That's our gift to you. They're free. There's no catch. You don't even have to put your name down. Just go take it. They're for you. But if not, don't worry. It's right on the screen for you today so you can follow along with us. So here we go. 1 John chapter 2, starting in verse 3. We know, everyone say no. 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 This, this is a word that's foreign to us. Right? Because we live in a, in a culture of relativism. Right? We live in a culture like, can you really know anything for sure? John says, we can know. Like, we can know and have confidence in what? That we have come to know him, that being Jesus Christ, if we keep his commands. We can know without a shadow of a doubt that we know God when we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. He's saying, you don't know him. You don't know who God is. Because when you're in love with someone and someone is now Lord of your life, you're going to obey and walk in goodness with God. And it says this, and the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his words, love for God is truly made complete in them. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. John opens up this, this chapter in, in, in this moment, this new thought pattern really in the letter, and he's saying this, do you want to know that you know God? Do you do what he asks you to do? Do you live in a way that, that is in line with the commands of God? So let me show you this. This is the first point of today's message. How you live tells others what you believe. How you live tells others what you truly believe. Because how many of us have that friend that's like, I really believe in healthy eating. I really do. Except when I'm with you. <laughs> and when like Five Guys is on the way or Chipotle got ordered or, you know, it's pizza night and it's buy one, get one. You know, like I really believe in healthy eating unless it's inconvenient. And every time you're with that person, it's like, hey, I'm on a diet, but I'll break it today. And you're like, are you on a diet because how you live is telling me something different than what you say you believe. 
We've all experienced this. We, we use this church word and we throw it around too much. We call it hypocrites. You're a hypocrite. You say one thing and you do another. The, guys, can we just like dispel that? Like we're all hypocritical in this room, me included. I, there are passions and things that I so want for my life that I don't do. I wake up every day intending to go to the gym. Every day. I intend. My heart is set upon the goodness. <laughs> but the mind is willing, but the body is not, right? My body's like, I can't get out of bed. Not today. Oh, I felt a tweak in my hamstring. Not today. We all live in this way, and we find these excuses to not live in line with what we truly believe. And so what happens is, is for you and I, when we're in this deconstruction model, we kind of make everything an idea, right? Everything's kind of out there in its ideas. But Christianity, guys, I want to blow your mind a little bit this morning, is not belief in a set of ideas. Christianity is a belief in a person. That's the reality. It's not in this lofty idea that's out there and all of these things. We believe in a person whose name is Jesus Christ for the salvation of our souls. We believe in a person, not just ideas. And what can happen in deconstruction is we can lose the person of Jesus while we're combating with all of these ideas over here. And John's going to say like, hey, it's okay for us to figure out what we really believe, but let's not lose Jesus in the process of this. And there's a way for you and I to know where we are and what we've experienced in this life. And so Jesus, when we believe in God, it should not just change our minds. It should change the way that we live. 100% full sale. When we think about God and we think about Jesus, it's not just this ideas that we believe in. John's going to say, and others are going to say, it really is determined in how you live. Because how you live is what you really believe. And so as we go through this and, and we, we enter into this moment, John's going to say, this is really important because I've noticed this and I think John is hitting on this and this idea that when we're deconstructing and we're, we're tearing things down, what can tend to happen, not always happen, but what can tend to happen is that ethical living goes out the door. And so you're combating with all of these ideas. And as you're combating with these ideas, it does affect the way that you live. And a lot of people who are walking through deconstruction are like, you know what? Uh, I'm, I'm questioning all of these ideas. So is it okay for me to look at that online? Is it okay for me to be dishonest in this business deal? Like, what, I don't even know if there's really any true consequence to this. Is it okay if I chat with that person? Is it okay if I do this? And what can begin to happen is, is, as we move away from these ideas, what can tend to happen is we also lose the way that we live. And so what John is going to say is we can know that we know God in the way that we keep his commands. Like it's practical. If you're going to live for God, that means you know God. And, and the reason why it's such an important proof text is this. You can't fake it all the time. Like some of us can fake it enough to get here for an hour. Like, we're good right here. We have the right playlist. It's called the church playlist. You hit that so that when you get in the parking lot, no one hears the other stuff that's going on. And then you get here. How you doing? Blessed beyond measure, brother. How you doing? Better than I deserve. Amen. And you're like, amen. You know the lingo. Cool. Cool. But what's Sunday night like? What was Saturday night like? And Friday night? 
and Thursday night. Look, sin is an equal opportunist. It happens every day. It's not just Friday and Saturday. And so what happens here is, is we look at this, and, and John's going to say, look, knowing God is not just knowing God. It's knowing God here. It, it's this real knowledge. And, and here's the reality is it's not just knowing God at one point. It's are you continuing to know God? Why? Because we don't believe in a set of just ideas. We believe in a, the person who represents those ideas. And Christianity is not conformity to ideas. Christianity is relationship with the Savior of the world. And relationships need to continue. Relationships continue forward. We'll get into that in just a second. I want you to listen to this, these verses and what one commentator said when concerning this passage. Because the idea is, is, and I heard this last night, someone said, man, you know, you talked about keeping God's commands. That seems really hard. It is really hard. To live like Jesus lived is so hard that we can't do it on our own. And the Bible says that when Jesus left, he sent a helper to come and indwell us now, not just lay upon us, but to indwell us. And his name is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit works in our life. As we try to walk towards God, the Holy Spirit is there to help us do that. So it is. If you're in this room, you're like, man, living like Jesus is hard. I know. But we have a great helper and a great hope. And God's not asking for perfection because he found perfection in Christ. But are you moving forward and moving in relationship with God? Listen to what this one commentator says. Because one has come to know God, an event occurring in the past with continuing effects through belief in Jesus Christ, whose death, death was the atoning sacrifice for sins of the world. He now must keep the commands of God. This knowledge flows naturally from the promise of the new covenant in Jeremiah. This is really interesting. When in the new covenant, when the new covenant is established through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, God will write his law upon the hearts of those who are his people. Their hearts will be changed so that now they will obey. Therefore, keeping the commandments is not a condition of knowing God, but a sign that one does know God. How freeing is that? That keeping the commands of God is not, not just th this thing that we have to do to know God. That keeping the commands of God for a believer in Jesus Christ is a sign that we do know him. That our heart has been so transformed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we have been so made new that we now obey what God has called us to do in this life. And I want you to hear this now because... Some of us will say like, yeah, but I've messed up. And yeah, like I don't always do the right thing and I don't always do these things. Well, Paul is really clear that where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. And so, yes, are we to live as people who need to be perfect? Absolutely not. But we do need to be striving in relationship with Jesus Christ. And where the gap is, the grace is. But we aren't to be people who take advantage of grace. That means I don't know if you're understanding what Jesus did for you. Like for my relationship with my wife, I don't, because I know that Kelsey is going to help me in the house and help me in life, I don't go around purposely making messes because, well, I know that Kelsey's here and her love is here and, and it will cover all things. I try not to do things like that because I do love her. 
right? So because I love her, I, I want to be in relationship with her and not take advantage of her. And so if, if we're in this room and it's like, man, I, I believe in God and his grace and his mercy, and those are all true things. And so I just live whatever way I want because I'm covered. I don't know if you know the goodness of God. Why would you want to take advantage of the Savior who came to rescue you? In fact, it's even his love that leads us to obedience, not his wrath. That the love that we experience through the Holy Spirit and from God, through the preaching and teaching of his word and our relationship with God, should lead us to live according to what he has called us to. Jeremiah 31, 33, it says this, This is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And so what happens for so many of us is is what John is going to say is essentially this. You can know someone and not know someone. Let me give you an example. Uh, A few weeks ago, you guys heard, I went to international superstar soccer players first game with Lionel Messi. I can tell you how tall Messi is. I can even tell you how much money Messi makes right now. I can tell you where he was born. I can tell you if we really want to know the names of his kids and his wife. Like we can know a lot about Messi, but I don't know Messi. I don't have his phone number in my phone. I can't call him when I'm in trouble. I can't call him to celebrate when he does something great because I don't know him. I know him. I don't know him. And here's the deal. When we go from this kind of knowledge to this kind of knowledge, things change in our life. And so the question is like, are you living like you know God or are you living like you know God? And so what happens in in our life and in this time is, is true knowledge, experienced knowledge, just like that litmus test dipping in that paper or in that liquid should indicate for us where we've been. The way that we live our life is an indication of where we've been and what we've experienced. Some of you know that uh, right after Easter, I had some big health concerns. My whole body was like twitching. My legs, my back, my face, my arms, and it was bad. I mean, like every time I rested, it was twitching everywhere. And I I had to go um, to my doctor and talk to him about it. And we began a barrage of these just different blood tests because we were trying to figure out all of these things that were happening to me. Because like twitching can really be nothing or it can be everything. And so we started to go through these protocols of strength testing, and, and he was, you know, testing my strength, and we were talking about MS and ALS and all of these other things, and, and that became even more stressful and more worrisome. And there were even some Saturdays and Sundays where I would come here like 15 minutes before service. I would walk on stage, and I would preach the message. I would tell you I love you, and I would go to my car, and I would leave because while I was even standing up here, my body was shaking. And so as we began to walk through this process, um, we really kind of, I think, have narrowed it down to this idea of stress and fatigue makes for a dangerous cocktail for Blake Harkup. And so the solution was to sleep and rest. That was the solution. And so what happened is, and, and I'm still even fighting this now today because I feel... 99% better, praise be to God. 
that when I start to feel better, I start to forget what I knew back when I needed to sleep really well. And so if you come over to my house now and, and it's like maybe 7.30 at night, yep, I start my process to go to sleep at 7.30 p.m. I have teas that I drink now. I eat a handful of almonds because almonds help you release melatonin throughout the night. I have a way of, of your body temperature. I mean, I know so much about sleep. It's not even funny. Your body temperature has to drop by two degrees for you to fall asleep. And the way you can accelerate that is take a really hot shower really fast. You don't go in there long. And your body begins to try to cool itself down so you'll go to sleep faster. I wear an eye mask now. Never did that before, right? But here's the deal. The experience that I had led to knowledge, and that knowledge has worked its way out in my life. This is what John is saying. Have you experienced God? And because of the experiences that you've had with the Father and with the Son and the Holy Spirit, is it working its way out in the way that you live your life? Because how you live will tell others of what you really believe. But not only that, I think for a lot of us, when we say experience, experience has this idea that it's finite, like you had the experience. Anyone in here who has experienced trauma knows it's not just something that happened and you leave back there. For a lot of us that have had trauma in our life and church hurt and all of these other things, that experience leads to a lifetime of the, and, and it determines and shapes the way that we live our life. In the same way, what John is going to say is, have you experienced God and are you continuing to experience God? Or is, is your relationship with God growing? Because here's the second point. Relationships grow. And that's what John is going to say. Through the experience that you've had with the Holy Spirit and with God and with Jesus, that experience should not just be the end point. It is the starting point of your life with God now. Relationships grow. In fact, uh, let me show you uh, maybe a little bit of what this is. So, Chris, can you pull up this next picture? This is Kelsey and I, and that's Piper. Piper turned 11 years old last week. So that's Piper turning, I think, one. That's 10 years ago. I have not aged very well. I mean, I'm, you can tell I'm a pastor. I got a lot of gray going on. And so, <clears throat> but here's the deal. The same facts about mine and Kelsey's life were the same that day as they are today. The facts. I haven't shrunk. My weight has changed a little bit. Okay, but basically the facts are the same for our life from 10 years ago. But if Kelsey and I were in the same place that we were then as we are now, something has gone terribly wrong in our marriage. In fact, we were at dinner on Friday night, and Kelsey and I, we try to get away every week for a date. Why? Because on this side of heaven, that is the greatest relationship that I have in this world. And we invest in and pour into relationships that matter to us. Right? She's the greatest gift on this planet to me as a person. And so we not only want to invest in that relationship with each other, but parents, let me just give you a, a little parenting 101 help. The greatest gift you can ever give your kids is a wonderful marriage. Okay? I don't know about you, but my life is not distraught because I didn't get my power wheel when I was five. I got it when I was six. Okay? But when five was a tough year for me, okay? <laughs> I asked for a power wheel. It didn't happen. I had to live through that. 
I don't really remember that. That doesn't affect my life. Every time I see a power wheel, I'm not triggered. I'm not like, ah, that whole year of my life was wasted. Right? But you know what I do remember is my mom and dad telling each other that they loved each other. I remember that like, at least in my house, I wasn't worried that they were going to leave each other or me. And so what can begin to happen is, is parents, you and I need to understand that relationships need to grow and that the greatest gift that you can give your kids is an incredible marriage, not a perfect marriage, because they need to see how you work through imperfection, but a, a stable, strong marriage. Young people, if you're looking for a partner in life right now, you better find somebody in life that you can go through all of it with. And so what happens for you and I is, is mine and Kelsey's relationship grew. And we were talking about it at dinner on Friday night. And we were sitting there and we were, you know, we were, you know, we're talking about like, can you believe Piper's 11? And can you believe all this stuff? And, <clears throat> and, I, and I looked at Kelsey and I said this. And it's going to seem like I'm getting brownie points. But this is the honest truth of what I said in that conversation. I looked at her and I said, I can 100% say to you that I love you more now than I did in that picture. And she said, I can tell you the same. I love you more now than I did when we were in that. And I loved you a lot then. And she didn't even know I was preaching on this. I don't give Kelsey the like pre-sermon notes. And you know what she said to me? And I thought, that's going in the message. She said, it's because of all the things that we've experienced together. It's all of the things that we've gone through together that has made me love you more. And so my question for us in this room is relationships are meant to grow. Is your relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit growing because of the experiences that you are having with God? And because of what goes on in our lives and, and that the reality is, is we, we tell the world what we really believe by the way that we live. And we also need to understand that our relationship with God is meant to be experienced and not just thought of but also that, that that relationship is meant to grow throughout time. It's that we know God and are continuing to know him. And that is evidenced in our life like a litmus test in the way that we live. And so what John is going to do is say, look, when we are, are struggling with Christianity, we really got to answer two questions. Who do you love and how do you live? And John's going to get into this and go, I want to make this more practical for you. I really want you to understand what a life that has been experienced in God and what that looks like and how we live. And he says this in 1 John chapter 2, verses 9 to 11, it says this, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in the darkness. Could this be a word for the church of Jesus Christ, whether whatever denomination you're in, whatever part of the country you're in, whatever part of the world you're in, we are not at war with one another, for we are brothers and sisters in Christ. And if you hate your brother and sister in Christ, the light is not in you. So he says this, anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light, and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in the darkness and walks around in the darkness. They do not know where they are going because the darkness has blinded them. This is what John's saying. We got family rules in the house of God. You want to know one of them? We love each other in this place. Through all of like the problems, through all of the, the different things that go on, through all of the heartache and the hurt, we love each other in this place. Why? Because God first loved us. 
And because God loved us when we were jacked up, messed up, and all kinds of wreck, then we can love others that are in the same position because of the love of God that resides in us, because we have a relationship with God. You know what I've found in life? People who are really good at loving others are really good at being loved. They really know how to be loved and to receive love and, and to, to walk in that love. And, and here's what I've noticed. Those who are not good at loving others are not good at receiving love. And so let me ask you, receiving love is an experience that you and I are meant to have. Have you experienced the love of God in your life? Because it leaks out into the way that we love and treat our spouse, our kids, our boss, our neighbor, our friends, our family. And so let me ask us just, and this is like a convicting question. So if you get mad at me, you're not mad at me because the Holy Spirit's knocking on the door of your heart. You need to listen and you need to open it up. If we were to examine the way that you loved other people in this world, would I go, that's a believer? Guys, there's a, you guys, buckle up, guys. We got an election coming up. These elections split families apart. It's like the Civil War all over again. Brother versus brother. Let us not lose the testimony of what God has done in our life during this election season. Let us love people on the other side of the aisle. And maybe as Christians, and whatever side of the aisle you're on, I don't care. But we are called to love others. And may the, the way that we live as believers during one of the most divisive times in this world be an example and a heralding of the one that we love and that we've experienced. Because to love your enemy is foreign. To love people who are against you and all of these things, that is unbelievable. It's remarkable. It's divine. And so how we, we love and how we live really matters. And what John's going to say is, look, if we're going to be in the house of God and in the family of God, and you tell me that there's people in this room that you hate, I don't know if we're experiencing the love of God in our life right now. I don't know if we've got it all the way. But not only does, does this affect the way that we live, but what John is going to say is it also affects the way that we love and who we love. 1 John 2, 15 to 17 says this. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. Listen, what, what things in this life are you pursuing? Because what we love, we pursue. Right? We, we go after the things that we love in this life. And, and John's saying, don't forget how to live and don't forget who you love. And what I find for a lot of times is people were going through this process of deconstructing and, and figuring out our belief system. It tends to be that our, our love begins to shift and we begin to focus on the things of the world and all the things that we've missed out on or the things that we want to experience that we probably shouldn't. Look, guys. There are some things in life not worth experiencing. Okay? I don't know anyone who goes, I really want to experience jail in a maximum. It's just an experience I want. 
right? Like, no one, no one, that's just one thing. If I could do one thing, I just want to go to jail. I just want to experience that. I don't want to live a life half full. And how can I say I had a full life if I didn't go to jail yet? I don't know anybody who at their wedding day goes, you know, I'm really excited for this. Just so you know, I want to experience a lot. So we are going to get divorced at some point. I just need to experience it. Okay, how can I live a full life if I don't experience things? I've never met a person who's addicted to substance. That, that goes, man, I, I'm enjoying this experience of, of trying to get through this. You know what I find? Most people who have gone through substance abuse tell me, I wish I never would have tried that. Because, man, it has taken from me so much more than it said it was going to offer. Because, yeah, I had some good times, and, yeah, I, my, my troubles went away a little bit, but I lost my job and my family, my status in this life as a result. And so, yeah, it did give me some relief, but it stole so much more. I just didn't read the fine print. What do you love? And, you, and, and the reality is, is you can tell me what you love by the way that you live. And here's a way that we can indicate that. Um, if you show me your bank account, I can probably tell you what you love. I can because we not only pursue what we love, but we give to what we love. We give time, we give talent, we give treasure, we give our, our life and our thoughts to those things. And look, I'm not telling you that you can't like something in this world. You can't like a sport or you can't like, you can't like a, a, a hobby or something like that. You definitely can enjoy those things in this life. But the moment that those things usurp the authority of God in your life, in your relationship with God in your life, I'll tell you what is a functional God in your life. Because anything that determines your decisions, your values, and the way that you live is God in your life. And so what John is going to say is like, hey, in the process of this, don't forget how to live and don't forget who you love. Because if we start to forget who we love, and we may not have all the right answers on all the right things, but we know who we love. He said, you'll be okay. The moment we lose that, life gets really tough. And so let me just ask us all in this room right now, what do you love? Who do you love? Because who we love and who is supreme leader in our life will definitely like help us function and, and determine how we live. And John says, look, it's so simple. I know there's all these theoretical ideas out there, but if we love God, we will live like he lived, and we will do, live like Jesus lived. We will follow God's commands. And so don't forget how to live in the process, and don't forget who you love in the process of all of this. Let's keep some baseline. They're like tethers for you and I. And so what happens is, is John is going to say something really incredible here, and he's going to tie all of this up with a, a bit of a ribbon. And it says this in 1 John chapter 2, 19 to 23. It says this, and they went out from us. This is the people who had begun to deconstruct and had departed from the faith. It says this, they went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, they would have remained with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One. 
and all of you know the truth. I do not write to you because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. What does your life acknowledge through the way that you live is what John's going to say. Because you can tell me that you know God, but by the way that you live your life, I don't know if you know God. Because what we really know changes the way that we live. And if you're in this room and you're feeling like, I am not perfect, and I, I can't not do this all on my own, uh, you're in good company. And that's exactly why God is so good to us, because he sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us so that we can. Look, I'll notice this. The moment I try to be godly in my own effort is the moment I'm not. But the moment that I really submit myself to the Lord and say, Lord, you lead, you show the way, you help me out. I don't need to devise a plan. I need to follow after you and I need to live like I love you and I need to live like I know you is the moment that godliness begins to produce itself in my life. It's the moment that I give myself over to him and I experience his role and his reign in my life and in my heart. But a lot of us in here, if we're honest, we're white-knuckling this thing. You're white-knuckling that addiction to pornography. And you're just trying to, in all of your effort alone <clears throat> to get over it. Because you want God to look at you and say, he's so proud of you. I, God's already proud of you. God already loves you. Nothing's going to change that. No addiction's going to change that. But instead of opening yourself up to him and allowing him to live through you, we begin to pursue all of these other things. What about your marriage or your relationships with your kids or your job? Like what, what part of your life are you, you're kind of white knuckling this thing. And instead of just letting things go and allowing God to do it and living through the experience that you've had with God, you're just trying to produce your own holiness when all you need is his. See, we, we can, like, does, do you guys ever get tired of trying to be perfect? Do you ever get tired and, and just like, man, I can't do this? Man, what a great place to be. Why don't we just let God? Now, that still means that we pursue him, and that still means that we follow him, and that still means that we read his word, and we pray, and we seek, and we get in community, and all of these things, because we want to be in a place where we are being encouraged in the way that we live. But man, what if we stop living like it all depended on us and live like it all depended on him? And we just live the life that we were called to live fully. And find freedom and find joy and find peace in the process. Because what I've noticed is the moment I get involved and try to fix everything, everything gets worse. My kids had a slinky and they were putting it you know, down the stairs and the slinky got mixed up. You ever been there? Slinky, the slinky, the toy that breaks the first try. Right? Like, this is the worst toy ever. And so what does it do? You just put it on stairs, and it goes down the stairs. Anything else? No. That's it. Man, okay. This is good for one time. All right, so I was trying to fix the slinky. Anyone ever tried to fix a slinky? 
I don't even know. How, it defies the laws of physics how those things get mixed up. I was like, what happened to this thing? How is it in a knot? I don't understand. And the more I tried to fix it, the more it got messed up. Instead of just like getting to someone who knew how to do it or going to YouTube and saying, how do you fix a slinky? I just did it all in my own effort. And my own effort made it more of a mess. And you know what we finally did? I said, I'm going to buy you guys a new slinky. (laughs) That's how they get you, right? They're like, we got to get people to keep buying slinkies. So these things got to get jacked up quick, okay? But the moment that I try to get in there and, and white knuckle my life and, and, and live for God in my own effort is the moment that it, it, it's mixed up. God bless you. <laughs> and so what happens for you and I is there is this moment of release to allow God to do what God's going to do in our life. And do you trust the experiences that you've had with God? And do you trust what he's doing in your life now? And so as we get ready to end, Cody's going to come up. The question that I have today is not, are you living right? Are you doing all of these things? My question is honestly very simple. Have you experienced God? And you know, I think we make that process of experiencing God so complicated sometimes. We, we, we have these, all of these things that we have to go through in order to experience God. And I, I just don't think that that's true. I think experiencing God can be very simple. It just has to be intentional. And so how can you and I experience God in this life? How can we, we live and, and how can we walk through this life where, where things have, have really begun to, to change the way that we live? And it's this. It's simple. The first is to read or listen or watch videos. But are you... In this book, I say it all the time in here, and this phrase changed my life. I had a college professor that said this, God wrote a book. Have you read it? God wrote a book, guys. Have you read it? These are his words to you, and what is true of you in here is really true of you in your life. So let me ask you this. Do you know who you are in Christ? Do you know what God has really done for you in this life? Have you read the book? And you're like, well, I'm not a good reader. That's okay. You can get an app and someone can read for you. That's okay. That's okay. But are you trying? Are you pursuing? And maybe you can get through one verse at a time. It only takes one verse to change a life. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to save us. Right? And that whoever would confess and believe will be saved. One verse. That's all you really need to know. And then as God begins to move in your life and change your life and you see more and more of what it is, you you are responding out of the nature of who you are in God, writing his law on your heart and mind. And so it's not that you have to know God by keeping the law, keeping the commands of God is because you do know him. He's done something incredible in your life or maybe, you know, you're like, "I, I need something a little bit different than that. Great, like then pray. Pray. And let me just tell you guys, we, we did a series at the beginning of this year called Teach Us to Pray. But you know, part of prayer is not talking. Whenever I start praying to God, I start my prayer with adoration. I begin to declare who God is. 
You are good and kind and holy and righteous and just. You love me and I love you and all of these things. And after I get done just recognizing who God is, because when we recognize who God is, we activate faith in our prayer. I just stop and I say, okay, Lord, before I get to anything else, what do you want to say to me? What do you just want to say to me? And I just stop talking and I start listening. And you will be surprised at how quickly you will hear something or, or, or a word will come to mind or a thought will come to mind. And it's exactly what you needed for that moment. And it's the Lord speaking to you in this moment and having this conversation with you. And it can be an experience. And there have been prayers that I have prayed that have in moments of, of great trial and tribulation. If anyone knows, planting a church is not easy that I've gone back to those moments that I experienced in prayer and gone, okay, I know what you said. I know what I heard. I know it's the truth. I'll obey. Okay, I'm with you. I'm scared, but I'm with you. But not only that, do you worship? I mean, like, yes, worship can be coming in this room and singing with your hands raised and doing all of that. But do you ever just go out into creation and see the beauty of God? Do you ever go watch a sunset and worship the God of all creation and go, man, you made that so beautiful? Thanks be to God that I can even just in this moment, in this mess of my life, that I can fathom the beauty of a sunset. Thank you, God. I worship you. I praise you. I honor you with my life. I honor you with the way that, that I, I live. Not only that, are like ways to experience God is definitely in community. Together. I mean, has anybody in here ever been struggling with something and then you're just like at a prayer moment or you just say, you know, I need prayer for this, guys, and everyone prays and then that person walks up to you right after and says, hey, I just wanted to let you know I've been through the same thing and I just want to let you know that there's another side to this. That I was right where you were and man, God got me through that and here's how. Man, I, I, or it's like, I don't know how to get through it, but I'm with you. And I'll walk through this valley with you. I, I'm, I'm in. That there's benefit to this community. And if, you, if you're a stranger in this room, we don't want you to be a stranger. We want to know you. We want you to know us so that we can walk through life together. And, and when life is good and when life is hard and when all of these things go together, we can experience God together and what he does through his people. And then finally, it's this. Have you asked God to reveal himself to you? I heard this Priscilla Schreier said this. I was listening um, this morning, actually. And she said something I thought was so good. She, she'll ask God. She says, God, would you please reveal yourself to me in my life in this way? And then she says, but I invite you to do something better. I invite you to do something greater. I invite you and ask you to show up in whatever way I need most right now in my life. Lord, I I don't need you to show up in just the way that I intend for you to show up. Show up as you would. I wonder if some of us in this room have missed the experience of God and missed a life with God because we expected God to show up in one way and we miss him because we're not looking for him. I mean, that's exactly what happened in the New Testament. Jesus shows up and he doesn't look like the savior that everyone thought that he was and they missed it. But then he did what none of them thought he could accomplish. He defeated our greatest enemy, sin and death. Have you asked God to reveal himself to you? God is not shy. 
In fact, the Bible says that his handprint and his fingerprint and his signature is all over creation. And then maybe the last question I would ask is this. Are you ready to experience him? Some of us are so afraid to ask God to reveal himself to us because we're so afraid of the deafening silence. We're not open to it because we're scared or whatever it may be. Are you open to experiencing God today? And so as we get ready to end, we're going to sing. But, it, but this verse, I mean, these couple of verses have two um, kind of outlays in our life. For the believer in Jesus Christ, this should be one of the greatest comforts and greatest pieces of peace and confidence that we can have that when you love God, you will live a godly life. And you can have confidence in knowing that you know him. And it's not because you're white knuckling this thing, but because you truly love God, you want to do what he's called and asked us all to do. That is great confidence for you in this room today. You can go, man, my heart's desire is to do the will of God in my life. And so I just want to live like you've called us to live. And that for you and I should be a great confidence that we know God and God knows us. The litmus test of our life. And if you're in this room and you say, man, I'm worried about that. I don't know if I can say that. Here's the beauty of our Lord and Savior. You can turn around and come to him at any time. Because there's a story in the Bible of this kid named the prodigal son. And he wanted to go and leave his father. And he wanted to go live any way that he wanted to live and do all the things that he wanted to do. And he wanted to live a different experience than living with the father. In the moment that he was ready to come home, the father was waiting for him, ready for him to come home. And God is ready and waiting for you to come home. And maybe the experience that you need is this moment. And the Bible says that if you've never believed and confessed in the Lord as your savior, that you've trusted that Jesus lived for you and died for you and rose again for you, It's as simple as receiving a gift that we accept it by faith and we believe that Jesus died for us. And if that's you today, that's the greatest experience that all of us can ever have with God, that he saves us and rescues us. And you could do that today. So I will be down here in the front in just a moment. And and I'll be in the back and Cody will be down here and others. If you just need someone to pray with you, or talk to, or just, man, this, this hit you home, or you just want to come up and say, thank you, Pastor, that was such an encouraging word. Just helps me know I'm going in the right direction. Would you please come see us and talk to us? We'd love to pray with you and get to know you and speak into your life any way that we can. Church, I really do love you. I love you. And so, God, let's, let's guys, let's walk through this together. Let's go through this together, and let's keep pursuing him. But in the process, let's not forget how to live and not forget who we love. And so would you join me in praying this morning? God, we love you. We thank you. You are good and kind and gracious. And God, you are persistent and you love us. And even in the midst of our agony, in the midst of our confusion, in the midst of our doubts, you love us, God. And so God, I pray today that we would live as your called people. And that the love that we have for you and the love that you have for us would be evidenced in the way that we live this life. And for us, God, that would be a great confidence. Because to live for you, we can't do it on our own. And that means that your Holy Spirit is active in our life. 
And only those who have believed and confessed in the Lord as Savior have the Spirit residing in them. And so if we are pursuing those things, we have great confidence, even though we are worried and we are doubtful and we are struggling in our thoughts and these things, God, we can know practically in our life through the way that we live because it is your Spirit's active work in our life. And Lord, if there's anybody in here who's never trusted you or feel far far away, Lord, there's no time like the present to turn to you. And so God, I pray that your Holy Spirit invades their life and Lord, that you would turn them in this moment and they would find great love and acceptance and joy and peace in this moment. And Lord, whatever fear is there, Lord, your word tells us that perfect love casts out all fear. And so Lord, I pray that they would walk in love and in not fear today. And they would pursue you with their life. God, we love you. We praise you. We honor you in this place. And now we worship you with our hearts and with our minds and with our words today, God. We love you in Christ's name. And everyone said.